Boom. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, boom. Welcome to the Good Energy Project with Lou Connor, a surprisingly hopeful and upbeat show about economics, climate change, and our future on planet Earth. Kia ora and welcome to the Good Energy Project. Today we're going to be talking about money and how we can use what we have to help the environment rather than harm it. I'm going to be interviewing Barry Coates, who's the founder and CEO of a unique charity called Mindful Money that promotes ethical investment. In the world we live in, it seems that nothing can happen without money, and yet it's not something we talk about. It's not polite to ask someone how much they earn or where their money comes from, so it stays in the dark. I used to work with this wonderful salesman who said that if you want to know where the power lies in an organisation, follow the money. I have an image in my mind of all these hidden networks and streams of money that power the world, and I'm really excited to get Barry's help in revealing these hidden streams and finding out how we can start to wield the power of money for good. I'm intrigued by my own relationship with money. I wasn't interested in it when I was little and have kind of avoided thinking about it too much throughout my life. Typically, when I get a letter from my KiwiSaver fund, I ignore it or quickly file it away. It seems kind of confusing, annoying and a bit yucky. There's a saying, love of money is the root of all evil. And I wonder if that idea has got into our culture, that money is bad and dirty. Barry Coates has spent his career dedicated to environmental and social advocacy. He was part of the British government delegation to the landmark Earth Summit, the United Nations Conference on Environment and Development at Rio de Janeiro in 1992. He has a master's in management from Yale University, majoring in finance, and was a corporate strategy consultant in the US. He played a major role in establishing the ethical investment movement in the UK and led the movement to mainstream fair trade in New Zealand. He was head of Oxfam New Zealand for 10 years and worked extensively on international trade and investment agreements, sustainable development, corporate accountability, third world debt and international aid and development policy. He also served as an MP for the Green Party. After all this, he has come to believe that directing our money is the greatest power we have as individuals to make change. I'm very excited to hear more. So welcome, Barry. Thanks very much. And thanks so much for joining me. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, to begin with, I wondered if I could ask you some questions about where you've come from. And uh, the first one that I've asked my other guests as well is, when you were a young child, what absorbed your energy and what did you get fascinated in? Ooh, that's a tough one. You should have warned me about that one. <laughs> um, so I, uh, I was, uh, to some extent, typical young child. I, I had uh, <clears throat> lots of time in sports and so on. I, I was a little bit academic, so... 
I kind of read a lot and did did uh, schoolwork, but uh, it was kind of really when I was in my latter years of school and then into university that I started kind of being being quite uh, how should we say uh, tuned into more radical movements mm. around environment. Um, you know everything from from Maori land rights through to the All Blacks touring South Africa and and anti-apartheid stuff and and that was actually a really fertile time in those days. There was a lot around anti-nukes. It was a lot mm. about uh, uh, preserving old growth forests and so on. So uh, uh, and so you you came from Auckland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Originally, and then and then. I got a degree in in economics and I had no idea what to do with it. I didn't really want to use it to help anyone else make any money. <laughs> so I uh, went to Samoa for three years as a ah. volunteer, uh, which was fascinating, and, and eventually worked on kind of rural development, economic development, trying ah, to, to provide uh, better income opportunities, particularly for people in rural communities, and uh, yeah, loved loved that time in Samoa. Oh, amazing! It's kind of stayed with me uh, uh, ever since. That was an interesting uh, choice to study economics if you were into that radical those radical movements. What inspired yeah, I mean, the, you to go you, that way? As you said in your introduction, you know, if you want to change the world, then actually you've got to study money and economics because. Mm. You know, like it or not, those are the levers mm. that are used by those in power. And and if we don't kind of in a way understand those levers and and in a way regain control of those levers, then we'll never be able to influence the things that shape yeah. society. So there was a I had a very deliberate kind yeah, of yeah. Uh, choice around uh, wanting to do that. And then of course. Uh, in my economic study, there was absolutely nothing about anything nothing that I cared about. <laughs> yeah. you know, it was all yeah. kind of abstract economic models and so on, but there was mm-hmm. nothing about about sort of distribution economics, you know, mm. who, who gets what money and, and how can it be made fairer or what about ecology and, and you know, mm. how that's mm. entered into thinking about economics, none of that. Although I took some some university papers later mm, to catch up mm. on some of that stuff. Right. Hmm. I've got an, another question kind of going right back to the beginning. Hmm. I'm just wondering if you remember when you first became aware of money and and what your impression was. Um, yeah, I, I, you said in your introduction that we, we, we kind of think of it in troublesome terms, and I, and I did too. I, I kind of, I, I thought people who were obsessed with making lots of money kind of had lost their values about what was important mm. in the world. Mm. And so, you know, that that really did uh, kind of, in a way, shape the way I originally, th- when I was young, thought about money. I thought of it as something that was antithetical mm. to, to kind of good values. And so, so, yeah, that was kind of formative for me in the early days. It's really only later on in my life that I then kind of realised that it was not only kind of necessary to be able to study economics, but actually money itself becomes that lever to change. And and as you said, sort of following streams of money is such an underground and and, uh, kind of uh, 
the, the pathways to power. Mm. That that uh, that really, you know, if we want to if we want to get active, then we have to understand those pathways. Yeah, because you've been involved with a lot of international trade and and in politics. And can you kind of describe after after studying economics and then going to the Pacific? Then how did you you went over to the UK next? And how did your journey? bring you eventually yeah here. I went up to the UK and and as you said it was around the time of the Earth Summit in 1992 and it was all about sustainability but it was also when the convention on climate change was signed mm. and the convention on on biological diversity and so so you know really a formative time for the way we think about these things and uh, but after that I I really got bitten by injustice mm. in the world. And so uh, I became a director of a campaigning organisation on international issues and international justice issues. Mm. Uh, it's an organisation uh, now called Global Justice Now. And, and it was very much campaigning on issues like unfair terms of trade for developing countries uh, around international debt from particularly the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank that was then used to dictate economic policies to developing countries, generally not to their advantage, but to the advantage of foreign investors mm. and other countries. And it was at the height of uh, what was then called the anti-globalisation movement. Right. And around the late 1990s into 2000. And so uh, a lot of my work at that time was challenging issues of um, injustice and power. Actually, as an anecdote, there was a group of guys who were called the Yes Men. Oh, yeah, they, they impersonated them. Yeah. different people. Yeah. They impersonated the World Trade Organization. And I was on the other side of, of an interview with them, mm. not realizing that they were, this was a spoof. Oh, really? And nor, oh. nor did the, the TV program recognize it was a spoof until they came to my office. So you was, were interviewing them? And I was on the other side of the interview, so I was uh, the kind of the uh, uh, oh, the justice campaigner, yeah, okay. and, and they were they were the World Trade Organization, <laughs> but they were spoofs, <laughs> and they were spoofs, and, right. and it was a mad interview. But they came to see me in my office in Brixton in South mm, London, mm. and uh, then all of that became part of their film. So there was this kind of weird thing seven years later when I was in Auckland and I went to see this film, and I said to the people I was with, I think. I might be in this film. And lo and behold, there was quite a lot about that whole thing. Oh, right. It was very funny. Oh, that's really cool. <laughs> so I'd, I'd recommend if anyone wants, wants a really funny but kind of quite insightful mm. film, the, the Yes Men mm. uh, are, are great. Oh, I'll go and watch them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did you come to form Mindful Money? What was the... Yeah, story I, of that. Yeah, I'd, I'd done some work on ethical investing in the UK after the Earth Summit. And when we were trying to get sustainability into lots of different spaces, like in local government, into trade, into fair trade, into uh, ethical investing, etc., I had always been intrigued by it. I was waiting, been sort of waiting for this tipping point mm. for when this becomes really popular. And when it can gain traction and can gain some power. And uh, when I left 
Parliament in 2017, I kind of figured that was the time. So, mm-hmm. so I spent a couple of years preparing Mind for Money and then we launched in 2019. Uh, I had basically initially me and an army of volunteers who, yeah. who helped me. Uh, and that was fantastic, you know, really fantastic young people. And then we were able to hire a couple of staff and really get going. So we've grown over the past three years or so. We now figure we've reached about 300,000 people who have gone to our website to research uh, about their QE site. That's quite a, let's say, a sizable chunk of New Zealand. Yeah, and the nice thing is that because we're a startup charity, we haven't had money to spend on advertising. So mm. really, almost all of it is word of mouth mm. and some social media. But primarily it's been people passing on the message to each other and... and uh, And it kind of answers one of the basic questions, which is if you're concerned about the ethics of where your money goes, the first thing you want to know is what companies am I invested in? Because, you know, KiwiSaver funds invest in companies. That's what they do. And like most of us, a big proportion of people in New Zealand have KiwiSaver funds. Do you know what that is? There's about 3.2 million people with KiwiSavers. Yeah, oh, so it's yeah. it's a big slice of the 18 and over population. And what are we investing in? Well, that's the kind of sad thing, that, that we're able to show people what they're invested in and it's available for free on Mindful Money website and, and you know, because we're a charity, we want everyone to see it. But people take a look at it and they say, I didn't sign up for that. Mm. I was told that my KiwiSave was going to be ethical. What? What do you mean I'm invested in all of these things? And so people are then faced with the objective reality of mm. what companies their KiwiSaver fund is um, actually invested in. And a lot of people then say, okay, I'll go and look for a more ethical fund. What are we investing in? Can you give us an uh, idea? Well, uh, we do annual surveys, right? So, mm. so our annual surveys ask people what they want to avoid mm. in, yep. their, in their KiwiSaver. And so those issues are typically things like, they want to avoid companies that violate human rights or companies mm-hmm. that damage the environment or companies that test their products on animals or do factory farming, etc. Mm. We want to avoid weapons, fossil fuels, mm. tobacco. You know, a lot of people want to avoid alcohol, etc. So those investments are the things that people want to avoid. What we find is that there's a surprising amount of investment in exactly those things mm. by KiwiSaver funds. You'd think they'd be listening to their consumers and not investing in things that their consumers don't want them to, but they go ahead and invest anyway. Mm. And uh, and some of it really doesn't make much sense. So, for example, in 2019, we found out that there was $130 million invested by KiwiSaver funds, your money and my money, mm into companies that produce nuclear weapons. Oh, my gosh, really? So for a country like New Zealand that professes ourselves to be nuclear-free, our money is being used to to fund these companies that that produce nuclear weapons. So we kind of exposed that and have Mm. been back to the fund providers who have those companies in their portfolios. Mm. And we said, you know... Were they aware? This is... Some of them were not aware because the way the industry works is that they often invest a little bit of their portfolio directly and they invest a lot in other people's funds. Right. And sometimes they don't look very closely at what they invest in. And so they weren't aware 
of what they were investing in. And until Mindful Money came along, and we show them not only direct investments, we show them what's in the funds they invest in, what's in the funds of the funds they invest in, mm. kind of like Russian doll stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. And we're able to have a complete picture of all the companies and suddenly you can see what they invested. Mm. Others others kind of invested in nuclear weapons because they thought, it, you know, <laughs> nobody would really notice and right. it wasn't really important what they invested in. Gosh. Yeah. How, did, how did this become so invisible? I th- I think a lot of it is kind of finance theory. And, right. you know, finance theory was all about, you know, uh, efficient markets. You know, it's mm. kind of like economic speak of, of the best way to invest is just to invest across the market and it uh, doesn't really matter what you invest in and mm. uh, that's a good way to earn a return at, at low risk. And, and you know, there's quite a few things wrong with that. You know, for one thing, markets aren't efficient. And for another thing, you end up investing in stuff that, that people feel mm. is inconsistent with their values. And so the whole sort of finance theory has not understood that investment has consequences. That mm. in, what you invest in gets gets done you know Mm. this is this Mm. is the way money flows in the world Mm. that's what gets prioritized so Mm. if you're investing your money into companies that produce nuclear weapons then ultimately you're supporting that industry and uh, in a number of areas like nuclear weapons like fossil fuels there's a big push now to make sure that people don't invest in yeah. those kind of sectors. And we in New Zealand can be part of that. Yeah. There's international movements and when we act as part of that international mm. movement, it's really powerful because at a global level, then we can deny money to those companies and that then makes it much harder for them to do business. Mm. I liked what you said when we talked the other day about tiny streams coming together into mm. a, a, a massive river. Yeah. It's like that on, on fossil fuels. So... so um, there was a, there's been a movement to, to withdraw money from fossil fuel investment. And it's got really big. So that now it's $40 trillion. Mm. And it's kind of an unbelievably big number. But, you know, a trillion's got 12 zeros. Mm. And so, so that's a big number. That's and what's invested in fossil fuels. No, that's, oh. that's the amount of sort of assets under management, the amount of money under management that has said we refuse to invest in fossil fuels. okay. Mm. So it's huge. And so it's made life much more difficult for the fossil fuel producers and it's meant that Mm. their cost of capital is higher. Mm. Um, You know, at any individual level, if I say, oh, I'm not going to invest in that company, somebody else will buy their shares. But Mm. when you get to global movements like Uh, that, actually it really has a difference. It makes a difference because you know, globally, that kind of uh, withdrawal of capital mm. from, from those mm. companies really makes a difference. Mm. Um, what, something I was really surprised at was that uh, investments in fossil fuels aren't even, they don't even give you good returns. Yeah, yeah. We, yeah, we did this lovely mapping. And the mapping is the average of the sort of general market. If you just kind of invest across the market, what's your average return? And it turns out over the past 10 years, been really high returns. So it's actually 11%, so quite high. 
And then we map that against the oil and gas index. So that's all of the oil and gas producers. Um, and we took, because the data was available, we took the United States oil and gas producers. And it turns out that they have lost money over that 10-year period. Wow. And at, at an average of minus 4%. So the difference between putting your money into the general market and earning 11% and putting it in oil and gas and losing 4% mm, it doesn't means even that it's not only unethical to be investing in these fossil stupid. fuel companies, <laughs> it's stupid, it's financially <laughs> stupid. Yeah. And and this is the risk of what's called stranded assets. Oh, I didn't but, know about those. Yeah, yeah. So so it, it came out of some work in, in, in around 2010. And some people in London, really fantastic group called uh, Carbon Tracker Initiative. And they basically started to do the maths. And the maths said, if we produce all of the oil and gas that we already know about, then we are going to fry the planet. Mm. It is going to be an unlivable planet. Mm. And so we're going to have to transition out of renewables. But what happens to all of those oil-producing assets and all of the reserves that are in the ground? Now, all of those are on the balance sheet of these companies. It makes them look like they're really kind of rich and powerful companies. Mm. But actually, they're not going to be able to use those reserves. And their whole oil production infrastructure is, you know, as oil and gas starts to go down when renewables increases, as it is already, then um, we're going to see that that there are what's called stranded assets. And those stranded assets oh, I see. means that yeah. they are stranded. They have no value. They can't be used. They, they yeah. can't be used. And the scale of this is something that central bankers mm. around the world are really worried about right. in terms of threats to the global financial system. It's oh, so wow. big. It's so big. So much money. And so that's one of the reasons why the fossil fuel companies have been doing so badly because people are waking up to that. Mm. And all of those people that have divested out of fossil fuels have not only done it mm. because it's an immoral thing to do, they've done it because they understand that this is an industry and in, in inevitable mm. decline. Mm. Oh, wow. Mm. <laughs> and so... Um, and by the way, yeah. uh, New Zealanders uh, have a huge amount of money invested in fossil fuels. Okay. So uh, I forget the focus, around $2.7 billion of this just KiwiSaver funds invested in fossil fuels. So it's, wow. kind of, it's a very big number. And And that's just sort of... Because that's the general practice. That's because these KiwiSaver funds keep on investing in fossil fuels. And that, so this mi mindful money, it strikes me as quite profound in that you're making visible what's invisible and then we have a choice. We, yeah. we can actually just know what we value and switch the little levers over to... Yeah. This is a, the kind of thing about taking power back. So, mm. for, so for the longest time, people get a KiwiSaver and they say, I don't know what's on the KiwiSaver. You know, I'll, I'll mm. just put my money like into me. that one because it sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's a bank I bank with or maybe it's something that sounds nice or they've got a nice advertisement mm. and mm. they don't ask what, what they actually invest mm. in. Mm. And if, we, if we're actually going to take action on issues like climate change and sustainability, mm. then actually we need to take that power back and say, mm. well, actually I'm not happy mm. that my money goes into, into mm. those kind of investments investments, I need to be empowered to kind of understand and act on mm. my values and shift my money 
away from stuff that I feel really uncomfortable with. Yeah. And, and you know, our, our long game is that we're going to shift it not only out of the stuff that is inconsistent with your values, but actually what we're trying to do is we're trying to increase the ways that people can invest in, in ways that are good for the world. Mm. And, you know, there's a, a lovely example of... Um, one of the KiwiSaver funds or a few of the KiwiSaver funds now have invested in social housing. Oh, so they, right. they yeah. invested in a, a housing development uh, put up by, by the Salvation Army mm-hmm. in Auckland, 118 units of social housing. And that you know, is obviously going to cost them a lot of money. So they they put together what's called a bond or a loan. And they said, you know, why don't you mainstream KiwiSaver funds invest in it? Mm-hmm. And eventually they did. And uh, so that's the way then that our money in KiwiSaver, instead of getting invested in things that we really don't like, can be invested in things that are positive, mm. like social housing, like renewable energy, like community development, yeah. you know, things like healthcare or things that, that we really, really value. Mm. And so, so that's kind of our kind of long-term aim is to shift money from harm towards uh, good. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a ways to go because there's still not enough choice of places to put our money in which really generate those good good uh, outcomes. outcomes. Yeah. yeah. But 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 we've you've made a start. Yeah, and we and we we we're, we're trying to demonstrate that there's consumer demand, trying to mm, demonstrate mm. that people really want to do that in our recent uh, survey of the New Zealand public, we found there'd been a huge increase mm. in the number of people who do want those kind of investments. Mm. Really, really yeah. big increase. Yeah. And so, oh, cool. you know, the public are, are sort of starting to want this. Mm. And so we're going back to the fund providers and saying, it's clear that the public want this. You know, you can kind of do good as a corporation and kind of feel good about what you're doing and have some corporate responsibility. Why don't you put more of these kind of positive impact investments into your portfolios, into your KiwiSaver portfolios? So we're trying to... to you're working with both the investment... Trying, trying to work as a yeah, bridge between yeah. consumer demand into to trying to, to get the uh, mm. investment companies to respond. Mm. Well, maybe this is a good time... I'm quite excited that today I'm going to switch over my KiwiSaver fund. And um, my friend Olive works for you, and um, she's going to help me transfer my KiwiSaver fund into a more ethical one. So um, I might segue to that now. That's very cool. I'm glad you're doing that. Hi, Olive. Hi. Thanks for um, helping me with this. Of course, it's my favourite thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so Olive is my friend, and um, it's through Olive that I got to know about Barry and Mindful Money. And Olive has actually been saying for a year or so that it's very easy to change over my KiwiSaver fund. Um, this is actually the first time I've got around to it, so I'm very pleased that you can actually help me do that today. And oh, no worries. Should we should we crack in? Yeah, let's crack in. Yeah, so where I would suggest starting is to check what you are currently invested in to make sure that you actually want to switch. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's always good to know where you're coming from and have a think about what your values are and what you want from your investments. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
So Mindful Money, we've created this little tool um, that allows you, I, I say little tool, it's a whole <laughs> bunch of work, <laughs> but it allows you to check your fund, your KiwiSaver or managed fund and see exactly where the money's going into the different companies. Yeah, cool. Investments. So I've gone to mindfulmoney.nz. Yeah, perfect. And then on the homepage, you should see a little thing that says check fund. Yep. And I'll click on it. Perfect. And that says check and compare funds. Yeah. So do you know who your fund provider is? Yeah. I've actually pulled out a letter. I didn't know what it was, but I've pulled out a letter and it's um, ANZ Balanced Growth Fund. Oh, perfect. So the ANZ Growth Fund is actually the biggest fund in New Zealand currently. Oh, is it? I was with ANZ at the time and it was the automatic one that just got set up. I literally haven't thought about it. So I'm intrigued to see what I'm actually investing in. Yeah, so if you type it into the checker, um, we we can see. It should come up if you start with the ANZ. Yeah, here it is. And it's brought up an, a, a little graph that shows me what I'm actually investing in. Mm. Alcohol, 1.3%. Animal cruelty, 4.18%. Fossil fuels, 3.27%. Gambling, 0.52%. Human rights violations, 2.43%. And weapons, 0.3%. That's not good. Yes, you, you kind of... You've got them all there. <laughs> yeah, a selection of these terrible things that I'm putting my money into. Yeah, so if you click through to the fund, you also see a breakdown of who those companies are and all the different company names and then also the percentage next to the different companies. Right, yeah. That you've so got invested in It's them. a huge list here. Nestle, Rio Tinto Limited, all these energy companies. Yeah, no, there's a fair it's few huge. fossil fuels. Yeah, huge list. It's amazing. That's all in the one fund. Yeah, that is all in the one fund. Mm. So there's a little button that, here that says find a mindful ethical fund. Yeah, so if that fund doesn't quite sit well with your ethics, <laughs> which it I mean, everyone's yes. ethics are different. That's why we survey the public every year mm-hmm. to find out what they don't want to invest in mm. and then present the data back based on that. Mm. So some people care about alcohol, some people don't, etc. So if you use the fund finder, you can put in personally what you don't want to invest in and it will affect the algorithm and it will show different funds yeah, based cool. on what you put in. So I, I pressed find another fund. So you can choose from all the issues of concern, human rights and environmental violations, animal cruelty, weapons, fossil fuels, tobacco, palm oil, genetically modified organisms, gambling, adult entertainment and pornography, and alcohol. Well, I don't really want to invest in any of those, but I think for this, since I'm focusing on climate change, I might just go with the fossil fuels Mm. and maybe the... Human rights and environmental violations. And I'm going to go next. Choose your approach. Which investment approach is most important to you? Yeah, so this is just trying to find out if you value low fees of your funds or high pass returns, but high Mm -hmm. pass returns doesn't mean guaranteed future 
high returns. Right. Yeah. Um, okay. And then there's another little strategy in here that ethical investors use, which is called engagement. So essentially what happens when you invest in, in a company, you become a shareholder, which allows you to vote at AGMs um, and put mm. shareholder pressure on those companies to do better. So some funds in New Zealand do a really good job of engaging with companies that do problematic things to make them better. Yeah, amazing. So, so you get to choose which of these things is most important to you, whether the funds engage with companies or whether they exclude your issues of concern. Mm-hmm. And yes, yeah, so you get to rate them in this nice little tool, which is very cool. And next, choose your risk profile. Yeah, so this is just trying to work out how long you're going to have the investment for. Mm-hmm. So if it's a short-term investment or a long-term investment, mm-hmm. and also what type of risk you feel personally comfortable with. For example, if you're going to get a house in the next couple of years, you probably don't want to put it in a super risky fund. Yeah. Because okay. while the risk pays off long-term, as the market increases on average, you might lose money in the short term. Yeah, okay. So I'm not quite sure when I'm going to need the money, but Maybe six to eight years seems about right. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to choose balanced. And next, see results. Yeah, so it's only three questions, and then you get the cool. different funds that match your criteria, which are what we determine as mindful funds. Yeah, amazing. So there's about 10 funds here, and there's a button that says switch, and there's one that says details for each of them. Yeah, so the details will bring you to a page which will say who the fund manager is, what their past returns have been, what their asset mixer is. It's a whole lot of information if you want to deep dive into it. Yeah, Um, okay. Then Switch will drop you straight at the application form. I might go away and have a look at the details of these, but um, what's the process from here? Yeah, so it's really just once you've found the fund that you want to change to, Mm. all you need to do is click on that switch mm-hmm. you put in your name and your email address and it will drop you straight onto the application form um and then from there you need your ird number you need a photo of your passport or driver's license and you need your PIIR rate which is your prescribed investor rate which you can find with a little tool on the IRD website, but that's all you need. So it doesn't actually take long. Yeah, right. Um, IRD actually manages that process for you. Mm. So you don't need to contact your old fund provider or anything like that. So it's sort of like a 20 minute process kind of thing. Yeah. People have told me that it's about, yeah, 10 to 20 minutes all up to Mm. switch. I'm tempted to have a a party, a a (laughs) KiwiSaver switch party. I love that idea. Yeah, yeah I've too. tried to get that off the ground a couple of times. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's quite alluring, this idea of using your money for good. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Most definitely. Cool. Because, I mean, when we started, there was about $140 million going straight into nuclear weapon producers. Now there is only four. So wow. once you give yeah. people the transparency and the tools to do this. Yeah it can easily make the world a better place. Mm, cool. Thank you. Well, I'm going to finish this off later today. And um, thank you so much for your help. Of course. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Okay, back to the interview with Barry. 
My first two interviewees for this podcast have been, my first was my brother Justin, who's really passionate about reimagining the food system and setting up cooperatives and um, and commons to help local producers work together and make it more viable and sustainable to produce food in a more environmentally and socially friendly way. And the last interview I did was with Susan Krumdike, who's an engineer, and she talked about needing to rebuild economic systems based on what, like looking at the science of where we actually are at and what we need to do to stay safe and, and how we're going to meet human needs in a way that's going to be safe for future generations. And it just struck me after both those interviews that all of that work needs money. Mm. And I was wondering what's the kind of link between that kind of work that has ambitions to change the economic system in quite dramatic ways and the work that you're doing. Yeah. So I think, in a way, there's a pretty close link because if we want to change the economic systems, whether you do it through small-scale farming initiatives that can be scaled up and replicated or whether you're doing it via changing kind of structures of the way we live in society... None of that stuff gets done unless there's money available for it. Mm. And so unless we kind of take take back the mm. control of money. And I think, you know, looking big picture, I think what's happened is we've given over this control of our money far too easily to the corporations who don't think about the impact of it and don't really care about mm. where the money goes. And I think we're going through this process mm. at the moment, not only in New Zealand but around the world, of people saying, yes, actually, I do care mm. where my money goes. And, you know, but people are still waking up to it. It's still, it's still kind of new for many people. So this kind of a lovely thing around school strikes and, and mm. um, you know, when I go on marches with with people I often carry a placard to say, you know, fantastic, you're marching on, marching on, a, on a climate strike, but do you know where your money's going? And, yeah, and you know, right. so, so yeah. many people's money is, who are on the on the, the march is, is going into fossil fuel companies. But it's not the way people think yet. They're just still sort of waking up to it. And yeah. it's kind of like when you work out your carbon footprint and maybe you don't travel so much, you take the bus or you mm. cycle mm. or walk and, and you know, maybe you, you don't eat meat anymore. Mm. All of that's great. But actually, there's carbon footprint from your money as well. And so that's a way you can also reduce your footprint and act as an individual. And over time, we're going to be able to take that money out of the kind of fossil fuel companies and the heavy emissions companies, and we're going to be able to put it into climate solutions. Mm. Something I've been exploring is how we kind of see economics a little bit like science, as if it's these sort of rules that are part of the universe and that we can't mm. really question them. Mm. So. Which is so completely untrue mm. about, about economics. Mm. There's a lovely book... Uh, uh, written about economics called Donut Economics by, oh, yeah. by Kate yeah. Raworth. Mm. And I used to work with her at Oxfam. And uh, Kate's fantastic, and I sort of would recommend that as a really nice way to rethink economics. She's mm. done a really good job of giving us a, a sort of an image 
to think about her image of a mm. donut and mm. thinking about the economy. And uh, so that's a really good starting place for people who are keen to explore that. That was actually the book I read that started to wake me up to economics. Mm. I really recommend it too. Kate and I were at a couple of uh, climate uh, conferences, international kind of negotiations, and uh, we were kind of put in charge of kind of figuring out what was going on and, and you know, what the dynamics were and talked a lot about some of that stuff. And mm. I, I really admire the clarity of her thinking mm. and mm. particularly her her just great communications around this stuff. Mm, yeah, cool. Mm. Um, something else I've been talking to people about, and a lot of there seems to be a lot of discussion about degrowth. Yeah, and there's quite a lot of argument about it. Like, um, do we need? Does the economy need to shrink if we're going to be able to survive climate change? And I just wondered what your take on the degrowth argument is. I kind of I kind of hear it and I and I sort of get it that overall our footprint and our impact on on ecological systems is is going to have to become much lighter. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a lot of that is consumption based. We keep on kind of consuming stuff as if it's going to make us happy mm. and it never does. <laughs> um, so from that perspective I get degrowth but then when you unpack it a bit then in some areas, I think there probably has to be a bit more regrowth. You know, it's yeah, kind right. of like social housing. I, I want more social housing, mm, not less. Mm. You know, on, on regenerative agriculture, you know, I want I want more native restoration in New Zealand, not yeah, less. I yeah. don't, you know, I want less pine trees, you know, but mm. I want more native forests. So mm. it's for me, it's much more around not the overall kind of meta-analysis of degrowth, but saying we really need to switch around this growth towards quality and not quantity. Mm. And that's sort of the big thing that is wrong is people still think about measures like gross national product and you know, yeah, GNP right. as if it's at all relevant to, mm. to kind of quality of life or, or what's important in mm. the world. But it really isn't. Mm. Every time a climate-induced natural disaster comes through and destroys people's houses, etc., then GNP growth goes up because they don't count all the damage done to the houses, but they count all of the rebuilding of the houses. So, you know, right, over, okay. over time, yeah. it sounds like we're doing really well. But, but we're actually, actually just trying to survive climate change. But actually change. we're going backwards because, yeah. you know, uh, we, we are, we're still struggling. To, so to, you said GN, did you say GNP or is that the same as GDP? GDP, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're interchangeable terms. And GDP is the... Measure of all the economic activity. and It's a measure of economic activity, that's right. But it excludes anything to do with environmental costs and mm. it excludes anything to do with uh, voluntary labour. It, inclu- it excludes most of women's work, for mm. example. Mm. It excludes uh, the impact of climate change. Mm. And sometimes, as I said, that, that even is recorded as a positive mm. on GDP. So in so many ways, in today's world where the environment, sustainability and climate change are much more important, mm. GDP becomes less and less relevant and more and more misguided mm. as a set of measures even about economic activity. We really need to be developing uh, alternative measures. There's been no shortage of proposals for these alternative measures, and I kind of worked on some in the early 1990s. But the difficulty has been to get those into common usage so that when you open the newspaper and they say 
GDP has gone down by half a percent or up by half a percent, they should be talking more about indicators around quality of life or mm. environmental mm. sustainability. Mm. But that hasn't yet been accepted. Right. Yeah. Do you have any? Do you have any hope for? <laughs> do you... Oh yeah, I think I think uh, uh, lots of lots of things are changing, and I think we're coming up to a really bad time with the climate, mm. and things are going to get worse before they get better, and that's just all the built-in stuff we've already got from all of the greenhouse gases we put into the atmosphere. So mm. it's kind of like uh, hold on, hold on tight because mm. it's really bad times to come, and, and not. So much for New Zealand. I mean, we're going to have many more storms, many more floods, mm. you know, wildfires, a whole lot of other things. But actually, it's far, far worse for people who live in the extremes, in mm. the tropics, uh, where extreme heat is becoming really problematic, mm. where cyclones are becoming much more intense and much, much more destructive, and in people who live in kind of very cold in Arctic areas where the climate is warming and at just a massively mm. rapid rate. Mm. So, so, you know, and I, and I feel for people living in those areas because often their people are really poor and, mm. and they have, they've got no kind of government who's going to say, we can do some managed retreat and help you kind of find another place. When they have a cyclone that destroys their house or flooding, They've got nothing to fall back on. Mm, their livelihoods are destroyed, mm. their houses are destroyed, and, and they've got nothing else. They haven't mm. got a government who can help them. They just live from the support of, of their communities and, and from extended family systems, mm. and people are suffering around the world. Already at the time that I was head of Oxfam, uh, we were seeing that in, in climate change, mm. you know, absolutely deep droughts mm. and harvests that didn't happen because rainfall didn't come at the right time and so crops would fail and, and people would go hungry. Mm. And those those kind of impacts are being felt more and more and that's really the injustice mm. of climate change, yeah. that people who didn't cause it are, getting the worst. are the ones who are suffering the worst. Do you have any sense of how we in Aotearoa can contribute to the world, can take our place on the world stage and... What's your vision for? I think for that? you know, sort of at a personal level, we we can we can do a lot, and you know, kind of go and check out mindful money, <laughs> etc. All those yeah. those kind of things, and individual action is by itself not going to change the world, but it's really important because it sets in train some of the process which will have a much deeper impact. Um, voting's important. You know, people should vote, and if you care about climate change and you care about sustainability, then you should use your vote in order to be strategic about how you vote. Mm. Uh, and can we change the world? Well, in other areas, New Zealand has acted as a bit of a, a kind of an icon and a, a beacon for other countries. We don't always realise it, but around some aspects of COVID, around the Christchurch shootings, and a whole bunch of issues around sustainability and a clean, green environment, which we don't necessarily fully deserve, mm, mm. Uh, we have become known as mm. one of the countries that is progressive on those issues and cares about those issues and is doing well on those issues. So 
if we do get stuff right in New Zealand, we can have a disproportional kind of exemplar mm, influence. Mm. We can be the good be practice that, that others mm. look to, the, mm. the, the inspiring model mm. that others can look to. You know, if we want to have a an influence over the world, I think that would be a really lovely influence over the world to yeah, have. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned that New Zealand has transparency laws which makes it possible to do mm. what you're doing with mindful money mm. that other countries don't have. Can you yeah. say a bit about that? So the one reason we're able to show people everything that's in their portfolio is because there's a law that requires all of the KiwiSaver fund providers and any other investment fund you may have to declare what their what's in their what's in their fund. What mm. the portfolio is, a collection of companies in their fund. And they have to do that every six months. So we take all of that data and then we unpick it and we, we find out that what's in the fund and the fund within the fund and so on. So we're able to give everyone a complete picture of it. We make it public, make it for free so people mm-hmm. can see yeah. it. And then all of that uh, uh, becomes something that can inform people about their investment. Now, other countries don't have those laws. Mm. Australia's just recently bought in a law around their superannuation funds, but that's kind of early days there. And so we really are unique. And there aren't, as far as we know, any organisations like Mindful Money in other, other countries. Mm. Mm. And so we might well be going to replicate Mindful Money overseas and at some stage in the future, but we just want to make sure that we're strong in New Zealand and we're able to build a good base of support here before we uh, we go off to other places. Mm, that's very cool. Mm. And do you have a big vision? Like if you could do anything in the world or be part of anything in the world, what would that look like? Um, I, I think sort of this area of, of kind of democratising money and taking control back over where money goes actually can have a really huge amount of power and I would love to see in New Zealand for example people being able to invest their money in local positive impact activity you know Mm -hmm. community development schemes you know food systems Mm -hmm. community gardening community housing you know a whole lot of things where at the moment if they want to get money they have to raise it from friends and family or individuals because generally they can't get any money from the bank Mm. but wouldn't it be nice to have a flow of money from people who say yeah i care about those things i want to put my money into those things i want to help them you know it's not about how much money i'm going to earn i just want sort of a decent return but but you know i don't mind if it's kind of not the highest return i just want to have my money used for good and so that's a vision that i see that that that's the kind of way where we're on all of the kind of initiatives that can change things mm, in, mm. in New Zealand from, from the bottom up, mm. as well as changing kind of stuff within companies from the top down. Mm. Um, that would be a really important. And, and the other one is just ways to hold these corporations to account. And so there's also a... a sort of plan that Mindful Money would, would uh, um, put companies under some pressure th- through their shareholding and through their annual general meetings and shareholder resolutions in order for companies to have to take climate change on board or to to do more on sustainability, etc. I think we need more of that in New Zealand. Those kind of shareholder governance things mm, uh, established. Kind of they're they're in the UK, to, they're yeah. in the U- Europe, they're in Australia, right. even in the US. 
But so far, there's been none of that in New Zealand. And so that's something which is basically around the accountability of companies for what they're doing and what their impacts are. What would be required to set that up? Money. <laughs> so Mindful Money is a charity and, yeah. and uh, yeah. we're, we're still small. Mm. So, so uh, you know, if, if people want to support a good charity, then then come along and support Mindful Money. Yeah, OK. Great. Uh, but, but uh, yeah, so we need to have uh, a little bit sounder financial base before we mm-hmm. can do that. Is that the main thing you're up against? What makes what you're doing hard? Oh, what makes it hard is is also there are people in the finance community who really don't like us because <laughs> they don't they don't like uh, having all of their stuff exposed, their dirty linen laundered on a on a website that anyone from the public can see. Yeah. So so we get a lot of pushback from from that from from finance companies. Who, what kinds of things do they say to you? Uh, I won't repeat them all. <laughs> But but a lot of it is uh, is is kind of trying to dismiss us as mm. being something that oh well you know when you grow up you'll find out about real mm. finance mm. and real finance mm. doesn't care about where the money goes it's just about how much money you earn right and yeah. that's supposed to be the sort of grown ups piece on on mm-hmm. finance which is completely wrong mm. uh, it's just that's that's a uh, uh, very much an outdated yeah. kind of mode of thinking. So we still have to contend with a lot of that. Mm. And and that's still a characterization of much of the finance industry now. Mm. And you mm. know, we're trying to change that. But and there are some now some really good options for people to invest in where that has substantially changed. We give out awards each year uh, yep. to kind of encourage that progress, to encourage those who are actually out there doing good things. And we want to say, okay, you know, we want more of this. So we give mm. annual awards and we've got one of those coming up at the end of June in Auckland. It's kind of push-pull. You know, a few sticks. Yeah, you know, and a we, few we'll carrots. Kind of beat you up <laughs> and here's the carrots. I have an image of a finance manager as a sort of like guy in a suit, a sort of sneaky guy. Um, that's just my image. But I, do you have a... a little, little unfair for, for <laughs> most of them. But, but you're right, it's it's really heavily male. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, right. really heavily. And uh, heavily kind of white Anglo-Saxon mm-hmm. male. So so uh, uh, that is a fair characterisation of the sector. I should say within within that sector, there's some really good people. Mm. And Can they're you... trying trying to make some change, but... but uh, much of the sector isn't quite there yet. Can you describe a new image of an um, ethical finance person, the sort of new it, caricature? Yeah, there's some younger women who are coming through and uh, there's uh, now a Tao Māori fund that's established to invest with Tao Māori principles. There's a couple of really strong environmental-oriented funds out there mm. that example of money flowing into social mm. housing you know those are the kind of things great enablers great sort of like benevolent enablers of, of yeah, things some, happening and there's kind of some visionary people who want to make mm. change we need those people mm. is there anything that would help um I guess our biggest barrier is just being able to let people know so one thing people can do if they hear this stuff on Wellington Access Radio, yeah. they, they can uh, tell other people about yeah. it. And, and they could have a KiwiSaver switching party. Yeah, exactly. And they'll do it together. <laughs> exactly, it's, you've done yourself. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. 
So my last question is imagining that you're 85 years old and sitting in your favourite chair, looking back at your life, what do you feel most proud of? Oh, it's kind of difficult. Um, I, th- I think changing, changing mindsets mm. around what's important in the world. I've been working on climate change for more than 30 years and if we're ever to have a future by the time I'm 85 and we're not completely pulverised, then <laughs> that's partly because there's been a huge amount of work that's happened over that 30 years mm. to be able to lay the foundations for change. Mm. I like the idea of these lots of little streams of mm. money going mm. into all these local and international programmes to uh, rejuvenate the environment and look after people. It is, and we need to mobilise mm. those streams of money into stuff that we feel good about mm. investing in. If we can keep that as as an end goal, to say, can we have a financial system which instead of putting money into the bad stuff that other people dictate, that we can kind of in a way take back some control over mm. that, we can mm. democratise mm. our finance system, and I think that would be great. It would feel really lovely to spend money. Mm, knowing mm. that it's going to that. We actually asked that question in our annual survey. We said to people, if you knew that your investment uh, in KiwiSaver or other things was going into something that created positive change in the world, would you save more money? And, you know, almost half of people said yes. Mm. And it included a lot of people on relatively low incomes. Mm. It wasn't just mm. rich people. I thought that was really, really good because the government's constantly looking for ways to boost savings. Well, mm. here's a way, government. My sense is that people are desperate to have a purpose to life and be doing something meaningful and good. And quite often it feels futile and it just seems impossible. So just having having these, even if they're small ways to yeah. do something, is yeah. um, quite a contribution, I think. It is. It is really and really important contribution, and uh, again, kind of works together. You start to put together some of the sustainable city stuff, and the the food systems, and the collective housing, and the the social housing, and you put it together with the money flows, and you put it together with some changes in government policy, and actually, it starts to work. Mm, and mm. and we should keep an eye on that as a kind of a holistic set of changes because mm. there's no one change that's going to change everything mm. it's it's as you say these streams of activity that, yeah. that are often are still at a micro scale yeah that can then come together and really create that holistic change i like it <laughs> um can you tell us how to go to mindful money yeah uh, uh www.mindfulmoney.nz and when you get there, if you want to check your fund, there's a little button that says check your fund. If you want to choose a more ethical KiwiSaver, there's one that says find a fund. And there's a huge amount of information of blogs and articles and all sorts of things. We've, got, we've done about 60 online seminars and podcasts, so, so they're all on the website. A uh, really good resource. We've got an ethical investing guide on there. Lots, and then all the information about the funds, etc. And there's a little donate button if you want to use mm. that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fantastic. Okay, thank you so much. Thanks, really, really appreciate it. Okay, bye. To you. <laughs>